Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. So uh, we've been, of course, following this story as well, which is the BRICS story. Ramaphosa has defended South Africa's support for Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia joining uh, BRICS. President Cyril Ramaphosa has defended South Africa's support of Iran and Saudi Arabia joining BRICS bloc of uh, countries despite the human rights and gender equality track record. So uh, we wanted to understand a little bit more. He told Parliament that uh, government's foreign policy is based on South Africans, South Africa's human rights values. All right, but that's a problem. No, uh, let's try and understand a little bit more about this. Professor Patrick Bond, he's a professor of sociology at University of Johannesburg. A very good morning. Thanks for joining us once again. How are you doing? Ah, shalom. It's great to be back with you, Howard. It is a nice to chat. So, so give us a bit of a se- what does that mean that it aligns with South Africa's Values it 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 sh- well. If that were the case, then they shouldn't be included, right? Well, uh, the uh, tradition, of course, is talk left, walk right. In other words, we've had really since President Mandela and his first foreign minister, Alfred, and so a great deal of rhetoric and occasionally some real practice associated with uh, concern for human rights. I mean, the most maybe uh, evocative moment, if you recall, back in uh, it was 1995 when a great Nigerian environmental justice uh, anti-oil activist mm-hmm. Ken Sarawiwa and eight of his colleagues were executed. Uh, Shell Oil had been uh, very aggrieved by how effective uh, these activists were and they were very important within the uh, Nigerian government according to the WikiLeaks revelations from State Department cables and when the executions occurred in, in November uh, of 1995, President Mandela um, very much, uh, you know, sort of gathered uh, moral force and the high ground and tried uh, through the Commonwealth and through the African Union to put pressure on the Nigerian uh, military government of Sani Abacha. And the backlash was intense, as one Zimbabwean finance minister, uh, Tendai Biti, the AU had become a trade union of dictators and the sense that Mandela was evoking human rights against uh, a fellow African leader uh, was appalling to so many of the uh, peers that he had on the continent. So uh, at that point, I think uh, President uh, uh, Mandela you know, turned over uh, foreign policy. And Zoe was a, a bit of a, uh, you know, sort of a, Figurehead, but it was really Tabo Mbeki, and Mbeki certainly, you know, would would use the rhetoric of of human rights. But I, you know, you can recall during the Iraq War when Mbeki authorized arms sales from South Africa through Danel uh, of. Uh, Laser uh, guidance uh, systems and uh, all sorts of all sorts of sophisticated weaponry to both the U.S. and Britain for use in the Iraq War. Mm-hmm. So we already, I suppose, have a long history, don't we, of, of posturing of talk left, walk right. I'm not at all surprised that um, there's a sort of cover uh, of. Uh, human rights by President Ramaphosa, who regularly has to go back to progressive international foreign policy rhetoric to disguise what's really going on. What's interesting is that, uh, you know, you spoke about a different time, a time of Nelson Mandela where where South Africa really did hold a an esteemed reputation globally. And, uh, and there was almost this concept of we've done things a little bit differently, maybe not exactly in alignment with how you in the West particularly would have done it, but we all really want the same thing and give us that leeway. 
to to be able to achieve that, and we know that that Nelson Mandela helped uh, the United Kingdom under I think it was under, under under Blair at the time for for the release you know for 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 the Lockerbie bombers. We, we, we you know he got involved in that. There, there there was a certain amount of credibility because they managed to hold relationships with with various um, countries, some of them where where, where others couldn't. But unfortunately, though, that, that ship has sailed. You know, we don't have the credibility anymore. And, and yet, uh, somehow we're trying to ask the rest of the world and the country to accept that that's who we are. But in fact, we're not anymore. What's your thoughts on that? Yes, that's correct. And uh, the, the fact that uh, we've just hosted uh, in late August uh, the BRICS summit where uh, six countries of which at least four are notorious for human rights violations are now part of the, the BRICS plus or the, the BRICS 11. Um, this is, again, probably a reason for uh, uh, President Ramaphosa having to posture. Uh, if we take the particular case of Saudi Arabia, there are uh, long-standing relationships and uh, deals, including uh, associated with energy, some of it renewable, which we would naturally welcome, but uh, still a great deal of, let's say, undercover activities. It's well known that the Saudi royal family regularly visits Limpopo. There's a, a, just above Makado, Louis Trichard. There's a, a big ranch. It has a, a very, very long landing strip. So instead of hmm. landing at a nearby international airport, Polakwani, which is more or less defunct, the, the, the Saudi royal family comes in just as the United Arab Emirates royal family led by Mohammed bin Zayed al-Nayan came into Bishu. Uh, extended the runway for their big, uh, you know, jumbo jets and uh, came in in May. At the same time, uh, South Africa was trying for uh, the extradition of the Guptas from the UAE, which had been turned down in an extremely murky way without South Africans not even being told that their application had been rejected. So we have extraordinary, let's say, contradictions where the luxury lifestyle of some of these uh, Middle East uh, Human rights violators includes uh, South African game parks in in a very you know sort of obvious and blatant way. Um, on the one hand, but there seems to be no ability by South Africa to influence. And so when you have a Mohammed bin Salman, whose uh, relationships have included arms deals that Arms Corps had approved uh, uh, in the past, most recently Arms Corps I should should add has been mm. approving deals. Uh, arms deals with NATO countries, and all of the Lady R uh, kafafel has uh, obscured that fact that uh, there's not really been any, uh, uh, let's say, um, uh, obvious activity between uh, South Africa and Russia, aside from the military, uh, uh, let's say, exercises, the naval exercises that occurred in February and March. But the UAE apparently had been the origin of the ship the Lady R, a Russian mm-hmm. sanctioned ship that first tried to, to dock in Port Elizabeth in, in Kucha, in Dora Harbor, Harbor uh, in Abecha, and then was pushed out by <clears throat> officials there. And, and then Arms Corps had to very urgently say, okay, let's go to Simonstown and, and do this unloading of what might have been, according to Tandy Modisi, the defense minister, some of the military uh, equipment, maybe AK-47s, we're not 100% sure, that were needed in the northern Mozambique mm-hmm. war, mm-hmm. where South African uh, troops are defending total energies. And, and a whole series of contradictions are, are glaring in this. 
It's it, it's just quite remarkable. Is he going to get away with it? It certainly seems that way. It certainly seems as though they between the Lady R, between the the announcement at, at Bricks and all of that, that he seems to have managed to walk the tightrope from one side to the other, and that's where he in, intends to leave us. What do you think? Well, Howard, I worked for President Ramaphosa back in the early 90s when he was a Soweto civic leader. And I must say, of all the politicians, including Mandela, Jean-Bertrand Aristide, that I've worked for, I've never seen a more talented, uh, let's say, Schlendru, uh, a brilliant man who could move through any one of these contradictions. Look at how Palapala is playing mm, out as one mm, other. Mm, remarkable. But I think the most, yeah, the most interesting thing is the geopolitical terrain. I'm really glad that the uh, U.S. ambassador, uh, Ambassador Ruben Brighetti is still alive. He was apparently suicidal. He said, I would bet my life on uh, the existence of a, an arms relationship in which uploaded arms from mm. South Africa to the Lady R. But he, apparently he, he can't sustain that or the U.S. government is walking back from Monday's statement. Now, when you put that geopolitics together with what the U.S. was trying to do with the Abram Accords uh, and just reading in the Jerusalem Post about the optimism that mm. they had mm. uh, for uh, Saudi Arabia signing on the way the UAE did uh, a couple of years ago in, in August 2020. And now uh, the Saudi leadership saying, no, no, we're actually going to still look east and go with uh, the, the BRICS uh, alignment. And, and uh, basically Mohammed bin Salman sort of put off any discussion about signing mm, the mm. accords a few weeks ago. It's an extraordinary time, very, very fluid. And when I would look at it, at a sort of imperial agenda of the U.S. and the West and a sub-imperial agenda of BRICS, which generally work within the global corporate system, not against it, I would say we're looking at um, a situation where Saudi Arabia is a lynch point and which way it goes will be, will be quite historic. And uh, that's where we leave it. Professor Patrick Bond, uh, he's a distinguished professor of sociology at the University of Johannesburg, talking to us about the inclusion of Iran and Saudi Arabia, uh, um, the BRICS bloc.